Season 3, Chapter 5 Clarity Responsibilities gravitate to the person that can shoulder them. Albert Hubbard Clarity Camera 1 heard it first. I heard it first, it announced, eager to claim the credit. It's someone screaming, and I got it. I got it. Camera 2 was not concerned with competition, only accuracy, and it immediately set to capturing the sound. Given the forested location, the source was most likely a fox, but analysis was beyond the scope of its programming. Like Camera 1, its light blinked red. Recording had been initiated. The woods were still and as black as a pocket. Here, sounds can travel along the hovering mist like water across velvet, covering great distances with little resistance. The direction of the sound could not be determined, but it was crisp and clear, and it was getting closer. I'm trying to listen. Camera 2 was all business. If we are vigilant, we may get some video. Has your timestamp feature been activated? Video, finally, some video, and of course it's been activated. Camera 1 had waited a long time for some real action, and it was about to get the show of a lifetime. Dr. Karen's walk was faster than usual. After ice cream with the sheriff, she had stopped at the weekend farmer's market that sprawled across the church parking lot. There, she filled two cloth bags with the heaviness of the fall harvest. Squash and apples, a pint of cider, bunches of carrots, some beets, and a turnip. Now, she was hauling it all home as fast as she could. Her time with Nathan had upset her for multiple reasons. He had looked so ragged. She hadn't seen him all summer, and his appearance had startled her. And yet, she chose an angry tone with him, and she was ashamed of herself. You could have called him earlier this summer, she said out loud. She remembered Ed's words to her over the winter. You've checked out, and I get it. Had she checked out again? Wasn't Nathan the one to blame for her blissful ignorance about what was really going on? Her conscience was quick to respond. Stop blaming Nathan. This isn't about Nathan. She had intentionally kept the crisis at arm's length, letting Nathan take over because it served her needs. She should have known better, and she should have done better. And then she remembered her tone. Nathan didn't deserve any of your attitude today. She hated the voices in her head. They were always right. The walk home was short, only four blocks from the church, but the sun was setting earlier these days, and it added to her uneasiness. The faster she walked, the harder the tote bags knocked against her body. Like bullies in a schoolyard, they harassed her shins and calves, spinning and banging against her as she moved. The load was slowing her down, tripping her up. The sheriff had gone on to see Ed after they parted. She had refused his invitation to go along, and in those moments at the picnic table, she could feel Nathan's disappointment in her. She felt it like she could feel the black and blues that were forming on her legs. She wasn't just Ed's boss. She was his friend. Nathan understood this, which is why he was going on his day off, no less. There it was again. She had chosen distance. 
Why is Nathan so patient with you? You don't even know how to be a friend. She murmured and sputtered to herself all the way home, monologuing like a lunatic while lugging bags of food she would likely never eat. She was perspiring when she finally cut across her front lawn toward her stoop, proactively trying to guess which pocket of her backpack held the house key. She didn't want to waste any time getting inside. When Harper was alive, she never worried about keys. Those were good days, the days before their lives imploded, when the house would smell of pie and vegetable soup. Her beloved aunt would be waiting, wisely keeping conversation to a minimum while Amelia decompressed from her day. They'd have dinner together, play a game of Scrabble, and then each would retreat to her respective projects, Amelia always returning to her work. Now she was dragging the bags across the floor of her A-frame into the kitchen. It was barely 4.30 in the afternoon, but the shadows still managed to make it home before she did. They had replaced Harper. The doctor illuminated the back of the house with the exterior spotlight and then turned on all of the lights in the main living area. She did the same in the office, bathroom, and bedroom. She returned to the kitchen to put the vegetables away and heat water for tea. She went upstairs, moving as always, like she was being timed. From the loft window in Harper's room, she strained to look beyond the yard and into the woods, but the spotlight's reach ended at the line of mowed grass. Even it knew better than to venture any further after sunset. With the upstairs appropriately lit, she padded back down the carpeted stairs and looked at the door leading to the basement. She thought about checking the basement windows, but she too had her limits. Instead, she slid a dining chair in front of the wooden door that led further down. Amelia couldn't settle down, couldn't stop her racing thoughts. All that Nathan Randall had shared with her today, everything he had endured alone, was now with her to process. She had carried it home with her. Standing in front of the cellar door, she realized it now. Her anger had never been with the sheriff. It was with a world that allowed suffering and evil, so much evil. And now she wasn't angry. She was afraid. As if on cue, the kettle screamed out in agreement. Dr. Karen rushed to shut off the burner and then ran to the bathroom. Her inner voice was on her heels, eager to finish the discussion. The medicine cabinet mirror is where it ended. What the hell is wrong with you? You've lost control. Pull yourself together, Amelia. Do it now. Amelia nodded to herself before taking a long, deep breath in, and then she watched her face while exhaling very slowly. She did this several more times. Okay. There, she thought. That's better. Inside the medicine cabinet was an orange pill bottle, a different kind of friend who only gave and never expected anything in return. It had been there for her when she couldn't sleep or cope with her aunt's death. Amelia paused briefly before opening the mirror door to reach for it. With all her heart, she wanted to be the person Nathan thought she was. She wanted to be braver. She emptied the low-dose Valium into the trash and watched as the little white pills disappeared into the folds of used tissues and cotton balls. 
Her eyes returned to the mirror. There, no more checking out. She was using the same tone she had given to Nathan. Still, she felt the same, strangely unsafe and emotional. She washed her hands, something that always calmed her. Doing things calmed her. There on the wall behind her was the bathroom light switch, and it hovered like a choice, like a signpost at a crossroad, until finally she spun around to face it. It's just a light switch, Amelia. She reached up and switched it off. Ed, I'm going now. Nathan did have a long ride back to his place, but mostly he wanted to get away from Ed. Right, are you planning to tell your colleague about all of this? Ed was in the center of what used to be the formal dining room. His voice echoed slightly. The doc? Welp, he answered back, remembering Dr. Karen's words from earlier that day. I guess I will. More you could. Might as well call her up, Ed. She knows you're home. You're right, I'll call her, Ed answered, while Nathan searched for the direction that would take him back out the way he came in. The house was as big as a hotel and confusing. Ed kept talking. Your tire iron is still on my back deck, but I wouldn't go out that way. It's getting dark. Ed, he's anchored deep underwater. He's contained, Nathan said. His tone was agitated. He felt like he couldn't breathe. Well, I heard you, Sheriff. Abram is at the bottom of that lake, in a thin metal cage. There it was. Nathan's ineptitude. The sheriff was standing beside Ed and his version of a cage, a ten-foot square metal enclosure made from reinforced steel. Earlier, Ed had explained the cage's features, saying it locks from the inside, while demonstrating the speed of the locking mechanism. He'd gone on to review the enclosure's contents, canned goods, freeze-dried meals, assorted weapons, medical supplies, and five extra-large nylon rolling suitcases. All of it was meticulously stacked in the center of the cage, out of arm's reach from the edge. Here, under the muted glow of the enormous moose antler chandelier, the scene was strange and macabre. It looked like a 19th-century postcard of two men inspecting a zoo enclosure. We're going to need more dipper van, Ed added. Yup, is all that the sheriff said back. Clyde, too, had built something for Abram, and Nathan couldn't help but notice the similarities between Ed and the old farmer. Don't look at me like that, sheriff. We can't put them all in the lake. Some of them, maybe, but not all of them. At least, we'll be safe in here. Yup. Nathan said again, his brain detonating with images of the dock himself and Ed holed up in this enclosure with things on the outside, trying to get in. I'll get the tire iron another time. It's time for me to go. That one's nailed shut, Ed called after Nathan, who had finally located the front door. Come on, I'll lead you out through the garage. The ride home was quiet, and it gave the sheriff time to think. Yes, he would need to revisit the cage and check to make sure it hadn't rusted through. He knew that already. Ed had explained to him that the suitcases were the ideal option as they would not likely decompose, adding, I only purchased five to start. We should get more. Only five, Nathan whispered out loud as the little truck chugged onward into the night. 
Ed and the sheriff were not close friends. They knew each other only through Amelia, and this left the sheriff confused about what normal grief looked like and just how far off the deep end the doctor's assistant had fallen. It might be better to leave Ed in the safety of his castle on the lake with his YouTube videos and to-do lists, unless Ed was right. And if Ed was right, then what? The headlights of the truck were on his cabin now. Everything was dark, not the sort of welcome he needed after spending time with Ed. He left the warmth of his vehicle and made a beeline for the inside. With the cabin door now closed behind him, he did another first that day. He locked the door. Ed, it's Dr. Karen, uh, Amelia. Nathan mentioned that you're home. I hope you don't mind me calling. I wanted to check in to see how things were going, to see how you're feeling. I'm not calling to pressure you about work. I'm calling because I'm calling as a friend. It was 9 p.m. when Ed heard his phone ring. It pleased him to see Amelia A. Karen, M.D., appear on his cell phone screen, but he didn't pick up. He wasn't sure why, but he sent her words to voicemail. Now Dr. Karen was concerned. Why wasn't Ed answering his phone? She hadn't heard from Nathan about how the visit went. Was Nathan not calling her because the news was bad? She knew one of them had the boxes of syringes to be used for Abram. Was it Ed? Leaving a gravely depressed person alone with access to Dipperban was irresponsible. She could try Nathan at home, or she could wait, or she could drive out to Ed's. It was only a short drive, and she knew he was a night owl. I work because it keeps my mind occupied, he would say, when she first started finding his middle-of-the-night emails to her each morning. Over the years, she became accustomed to reading his daily briefs, starting with outstanding tasks and ending with her calendar for the day. They always included a joke or a quote, something sweet. She missed Ed. The urge to set things right was getting stronger. Yes, she should drive up to see him, something she should have done when Nathan went earlier. But leaving now would mean going out alone into the darkness. Clarity. Written and performed by Bridget Emmons. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Main Stories and visit my website at BridgetEmmons.com. Thanks for listening.